Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Hi, welcome. I'm Fazia Costi, and today we are speaking with Tracia Wan. Tracia is a speech language pathologist and owner of Illuminate Family Workshop, a private practice in Phoenix, Arizona. She believes in highlighting a student's strengths and honoring their needs. After working in the public elementary schools, she decided to create her own practice to work with students who are often missed uh, due to specific eligibility criteria. In her practice, she boosts language skills in her late talking preschoolers and coaches families on how to incorporate AAC devices to, pro- to provide nonverbal students access to robust language systems. Many of her clients are elementary age students with ADHD who need tools to support reading comprehension, energy regulation, and executive function. She's a dog mom to two, fan of the Phoenix Suns, and recently has been in the process of seeking an official diagnosis of ADHD. So today we're going to talk about um, speech therapy and and why we we need a speech therapist. So welcome to the show, Tracia. Hello, I am so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you do is phenomenal. I think what you do is very important. <clears throat> My younger daughter um, needed speech therapy when she was younger, and I just know what a difference it made in our lives. So I know what you do is very important. Um, so thank you for, for doing what you do and thank you for being on the show today. So let's talk a little bit about you. Um, is there anything that you'd like to, you know, talk to us about? Like, how did you get started? What, why did you get started in this field? What made this your, your thing? Yeah. So, um, I chose this field back in like 2013, sophomore year in college. And I don't even think I really knew what I was walking into. I just knew that I wanted to help people. And I loved the blend that therapy gives with the creativity that you get to infuse into your sessions and the relationship building that you get to have with the clients, with their families. Um, I loved the full range of flexibility with the career and getting to work with kids or adults, or, you know, I knew it was a field that I would always be learning in and I would never get bored of because there's just so much that that is involved and the scope is so large. And I, I also loved the science back of it, where I got to learn about neuroanatomy and how your brain works and using all of the sciencey kind of skills to support kids and, and blend those two parts of your brain together, you know? Um, so after choosing that, I was like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in college and throughout <laughs> grad school. And I was like, whoa, I get to do that. I get to be a part of someone's life at the most pivotal moment um, moments and be that person who gets to say, you know, yeah, I know it's challenging, but you know, this is something that we're gonna build resilience with and we're gonna celebrate the wins along the way um, and be that person um, for a family and just contribute to the conversation. Um, because, you know, being in that useful reality where things aren't rainbows and unicorns when you're, um, you know, seeing a speech language pathologist, there's a reason behind that, but it's also not doom and gloom. So kind of being in that, in that middle there and, um, 
through relationship building is where um, that keeps me in the field. And that's, that's my favorite part. And um, speech therapy being that blend, um, being the vehicle for that and getting to nerd out on all things communication, all things language and getting my aha moments um, as well. Uh, has been a ton of fun and and where I get to, you know, people ask like, what are your hobbies? And I'm like, I love to just like look up, you know, different tools that other people are creating or, um, you know, checking out their research or um, just getting um, to hear about other passionate um, professionals in the field, talk, hear about like how they're able to support our kiddos. Well, I, I love the passion that you have for what you do. Um, and it definitely shows when you're speaking because um, you get very bright eyed and <laughs> and you're very animated. So I love that. Tell us a little bit about why someone would come see you. What what diagnosis do they have to have, or do they even have to have a diagnosis to come search you, mm-hmm. search for you? So in the schools, um, everything is through the academic lens. So when I was first working in the schools, um, you know, we would get referrals for students who were not meeting those at uh, those academic benchmarks. They were struggling in the classroom. Um, And so I would be part of a whole special education team that looks at what kind of supports do we need to put into place for a student to have access to the curriculum, to make the gains that their peers are also making? Does it mean that we incorporate other accommodations or does that mean that they need to spend a couple, um, you know, a certain amount of minutes outside of their classroom to work on those specific skills? So it's all through the academic lens. In the private practice setting, this looks like it looks a little different because I don't have those criteria set. Um, it looks like working with students with ADHD um, or dyslexia that may not meet criteria for that academic. So, like, it's a student who is, um, you know, maybe they're getting those A's and B's, but they're really struggling with that executive functioning piece. With um, parents are noticing, you know, like we're spending hours on homework, or like that's a really a a place where it's really resistant or, um, you know, they're just kind of, they're, they're flying under the radar because they're doing okay, but they're not really, um, but if you really look at through this analytical lens at how they're, how they're, um, there's really some gaps in their strategies. Um, so that is where I come in with private practice. And um, because of my background in the schools, I have a picture of what's going on if they are already seeing a speech therapist in the schools and how they have that academic lens. But there are a lot of um, areas that I was kind of, um, when I worked in the schools, not able to touch upon because it didn't have, it didn't fall under the category of an academic goal. So executive functioning, while that underlies, you know, everything that they do at school, I couldn't write really a goal for that because was it really related to math or writing? Um, That's where you know, the private practice, we can work on things that we couldn't necessarily work on in the schools. Um, So this might look like the articulation, which is, you know, everyone kind of thinks about first when they're talking about speech sounds and that, you know, that tricky R sound, but it also could look like reading comprehension. Can they, is your student, um, it's possible for a student to be reading fluently, you know, they can decode the words on the page, but you ask them like, 
who was in your story and they have no idea what happened or, you know, they're just reading it, but it's not actually building that visual picture in their brain. So it's really challenging for them to answer any type of reading comprehension question that isn't directly from the text. So Mm -hmm. if you ask a student, like, what was the story about? They'll tell you word for word. They'll look back at the text and read you the whole story again. Um, But that isn't necessarily, which, you know, for some in in some at some grade levels, you're like, okay, sure, that they kind of got it. But at other grade levels, you know, the 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 stakes kind of get higher as you go up in grades, and they need you to really synthesize and analyze that information. And our students are not necessarily able to do that. And um, you know, it may not be that they are either able to do the math computations, but it's the word problems that they're not really able to grasp all of the vocabulary that's involved in their math. Um, studies that allows for them to even get to the computation part. So that's where speech therapy pops in to work on those vocabulary skills and those, um, you know, understanding the sentence structures that, you know, the word before and the conjugations and the conjunctions really impact um, their comprehension. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It's, It's really amazing because I think a lot of people, when they think of a speech therapist, they think you're just helping me learn to pronounce words, but we all know it's more than that. And so now that you've explained that, I think other people understand it's, it's a lot more than just helping you understand how to pronounce a word. That's wonderful. Um, why would somebody need an evaluation? Yeah. Or do they even need an evaluation before they come see you? I think that I believe that evaluations really give us a snapshot and a window into how the student is. Um, processing information and able to express themselves. So in the schools, you would get an evaluation as part of a a, a multidisciplinary um, team approach to kind of gather that picture and in order to qualify for services. In the private practice setting, it may look a little bit different. So you are, we are going in depth into how are they processing their vocabulary skills? Um, What does their Skills, what do their skills look like compared to their same age peers? What kind of supports can we put into place to, um, to promote and encourage progress? And what does their team need to know about that student? So we're not only looking at their, um, I'm not only looking at how their, what their language skills are or their articulation skills are, or I'm also looking at, you know, what is their sense, you know, in real time, um, are they a student who's a little bit more wiggly? Do we need to add in accommodations for you know how, where and how they do their their studies? Are they standing at a desk? Are they on a bouncy ball? You know things like that. Um, what type of environment do we need to set up so this child is um, is successful? Um, an evaluation would really also look at you know if we are looking at speech sounds, or what does their oral motor musculature look like? Does that support um, all of the, for them to produce sounds, you know, is there something um, structural that we need to look at? And also like, what is the intersection? If the student already has a diagnosis of maybe dyslexia, or they have characteristics of ADHD that maybe they're not seeking an official diagnosis, but we know that that's kind of, we want to look at them through this lens. How does that intersect? And, um, you know, what are the, what does the research show about um, ADHD and language development that we need to we need to look at through this lens. And it just gives us that snapshot um, of where they're at right now. And it also is a really great point um, for us to look at their progress later on down the road. 
Right. You want to get that benchmark. Um, so how long does an evaluation typically take? And do you do those yourself? Or mm-hmm. do you refer- okay. Yeah. So I do them myself. And um, because they have that background in the school, I kind of for have formatted and formatted it in the way of um the way it would work in the schools too, but just with my own flavor here. So um we'll start to build the relationship with the student um, with an initial screening. So just kind of getting to hear about the student, where they're at, what are why are they coming to me? What's what is some what are some things that they want to know more about? Um, and you know, well, it'll look like us either playing a game together, having a conversation, um, just really easy, low pressure. And then um, we'll set up a second meeting, which will be um, about an hour, maybe two. It really depends if we need to split it up on um, the personality of the student, if maybe they're a little and maybe we need to, for attention span wise and engagement level, or even just how they're feeling that day. Did they sleep good last night? Like what have they eaten a snack today? So it could look like breaking that up into two, two days. Um, or two segments of time. And it looks like um, administering some standardized assessments. And that is in a really structured way. So I need to have the relationship with them first um, in order to kind of get them or for us to do some challenging things. Because some of it may be easy, some of it may be hard. Um, So to have them have that persistence throughout. So it looks like them um, answering some questions, looking at some pictures, retelling me some stories. I'll also include some dynamic testing. So that looks like, um, you know, testing a kiddo in a specific skill, teaching them how to do it, and then testing testing them again. So are they able to pick up that skill in that short amount of time? And what kind of prompts and cues, what kind of scaffolding do I need to provide in order for them to achieve that skill? So it kind of is like a snapshot into, okay, what is therapy actually going to look like for this kiddo? And then that gives me data for the evaluation report. So I can give that to teachers, to um, other professionals that they're working with. And I'm saying, hey, when you, um, if you're working on something that involves following directions, um, make sure that your kiddo is looking at you, that, you know, maybe it's, you want to have them write it down. Maybe you're writing it down. Maybe a visual schedule is what um, really supports them. Maybe, you know, what are some things that we can do? So we have tangible, um, actionable items in their evaluation. Um, and so after we complete that, I'll formulate that into a big old report and that'll include their background information, their birth history, milestones, um, any other information from other professionals that they may be working with, um, some questionnaires from parents. Um, if they're an older student, like a later elementary, I'm talking about a middle school students, it might even include their input too, because they're a part of the team as well. So sure. what are their views on, um, on speech therapy? What it, what, is their um, attitude towards it? Are they also noticing the same things that their parents are noticing with their struggle? Or are they saying like, I'm fine? Or, you know, are they <laughs> like, is there resistance there? Or are they right. like, you know what? I am actually really struggling and I, I need help. And I, this is not fun for me. School, you know, I'm this, that, and the other thing. Right. So they also include that part. So after that evaluation report is all written up, I'll meet with parents and they're allowed to invite anybody else that's on their team. That could look like, you know, the teachers or support specialists that are at their school, or maybe they work with an OT and a PT. We'll all come together for a team huddle and we'll go over the report. I also don't like to give like this big old eight page report to parents with really harsh language that's in there. Not harsh meaning, you know, like it's, but it's just written in a way so you could give it to a 
you know, a pediatrician and, and, you know, they could use it for other, other purposes as well. So, you sure. know, no one wants to get this report and, and kind of get and wonder what and not be mean? able to read it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll go over what that looks like. I'll go through each of the sections and kind of talk them through my thought process and make sure that it's all aligned with what they're seeing at home. So it's a true representation on their personality, their strengths, and their needs. Um, and if there's something that comes up, which inevitably does when we're chatting all together, make sure we include that in the report so we can edit it in real time. Um, or, you know, some corrections like, oh, maybe that wasn't a concern, you know. Right, and- right. So we'll just kind of edit that through. And then after that is when we'll have already the bulk of the work on uh, what our game plan will be. And that outlines our therapy goals, our plan um, moving forward, when we're going to have some check-in points um, and how we're going to be communicating. Is it going to be through session notes? Is it going to be, you know, a biweekly phone call if I'm seeing them without the parent um, at that, maybe I'm seeing them at a, at a school or something like that, or maybe they're with babysitter or something. So, um, making sure we have that, that communication system already in place. Right. No, I I love, I love that you have a very thorough plan. I was writing your steps down as you were talking. (laughs) I thought, yeah, that's, that's very thorough. So I was was hoping to have a question in there somewhere, (laughs) (laughs) but no, that's, that's very thorough. I love it. Um, so, when families figure out they have a need and they need this evaluation, how can they prepare their their child for this evaluation? Um, how, how many hours does this evaluation take overall? You said, I know you said two sessions, but how many hours would that be? Oh, okay. It kind of depends on the kiddo on what we're analyzing. So if we are doing like an articulation evaluation, um, that's going to look like maybe a half hour, um, just kind of get to know you, build a relationship, and then like another hour um, time together. If we're looking okay. at, and then another, I like to block out like 45 minutes an hour for the team to come together. Um, that'll be longer into three, say that like, um, the screening, maybe still a half hour, maybe gather some information. If we're looking at a, um, a student who were, um, analyzing their language, their verbal, um, expressive and receptive language and their writing and their reading, um, consider it's going to be like around three or four hours. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how can a parent prepare their student or child for this evaluation? Mm -hmm. What what do they need to tell the child? What do they need? Are are there things that they need to do before they come into your office? Yeah. So logistically, um, some of the like actual items here are, you're going to be filling out a birth history and milestones. So just kind of think back at, okay, did, were they talking at you know, a year to 18 months, were they like, what are just kind of maybe go through back your pictures and, you know, your scrapbook. Right. what was, when do they meet those milestones? Was I concerned about anything at that point? When do those concerns start? Um, or even not concerns, let's use the word curiosities about how they're doing. Um, okay. and then I would also have a conversation with the kiddo. Sometimes parents will say like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna let them know that you're a friend and you're going to, you're going to talk to them, which is kind of okay for one part. But the other part is like, you know, a kiddo will remember that in the future, most likely. And they'll be like, what was that? Um, so bring what, what kind in. of friends do my yeah. parents have? <laughs> <laughs> and why are they talking to me so much? Like, why do they need they to are know? They're so interested in me and not my parents. That's yeah. really weird. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They're like, um, can I go play on the iPad now? Like I'm kind of yeah. done. 
So um, what I like to tell them is that, you know, we're going to look at some pictures, play some games, and I'm going to look to see how your brain, you know, works and how, um, you know, let them know about their, that there are different parts of your brain and they all work together in this kind of way. And um, to get that buy-in from them that we're going to be going through this process and um, let them know some things are going to be easy. Some things are going to be tricky, but all you have to do is try your best. And, you know, for the family too to prepare that no matter what's on that piece of paper afterwards, they're still the same kiddo that they were before you started this whole process. Um, And it's just another little clue on ways to, and, and just another piece angle and lens that we can use to appreciate the kiddo, um, just to appreciate them the way they are and and who they are. I I like your approach. I I like telling kids the truth because, well, they're going to remember it first of all. And second of all, you know, when the next opportunity comes up for them to go see somebody, is this another quote unquote friend, (laughs) you know, and then they start having trust issues with their parents. And that's not a good thing either because they need that support system. Mm -hmm. So I like to not make it so serious either. Like it's going to go to the, you know, see this person. So I hope that we have a little bit of fun and, you know, I need them to be more relaxed in themselves throughout the process too, to get like, you know, constantly you're thinking about like, oh, what is this person going to think? It's going to be a little bit more challenging. You may not perform the best and it might not give us the most accurate snapshot, which is why that relationship building piece is going to be most important in our Absolutely. What are some trends that you're seeing currently with um, clients who have ADHD? Mm, So um, what I'm noticing is that parents are more familiar today than they were before about the different profiles and ways that ADHD characteristics can present themselves in their kiddos. Okay. So a lot of families that are wondering like, hmm, is this, is this ADHD? You know, our, our general picture that we've had for a lot of, a lot of years is like the second grade boy who's just like super hyperactive and bouncing off the walls. Um, but this profile has really changed throughout, um, through, I guess, throughout everyone having conversations and more voices contributing to the conversation. And so families are either looking at their kiddo through the suspected lens of ADHD, or they're seeking out this official diagnosis. However, after that, we kind of hit this wall and we're not really sure what that means for that kiddo and that family. So does it look like a family kind of approaching this in a, well, they can't do that. They have ADHD. Or does it look like them saying like, you know, the kid has the language, like I have ADHD, but they don't really know like that it's also a superpower. And that if you, you know, there are things that we need to work with, but also there's a lot of amazing things that come from that. You know, there's um, a paper out, right? Gosh, I have to give it to you to put in the show notes um, that describes how ADHD, the flip side of that is a creative personality. So, you know, Looking at that through that lens, um, the conversation doesn't stop at, okay, they have ADHD and we're mm-hmm. we're just going to put that on all the papers and, you know, that's it because everyone is an individual and it is so different for each person. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, how can speech therapy support reading comprehension? Mm. Okay. So um, reading comprehension, gosh, there are so many different little um 
little facets of reading comprehension here. Yeah. There is the vocabulary development piece, and there's also the story structure piece. So um, I'll go with the story structure piece for now. Um, Have you ever talked to like a first grader or a second grader, and they're trying to tell you a story about their favorite movie? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) And they are... If you didn't know the movie, you would be like, what are you talking about? Where is this coming from? They're describing these parts in like ultra detail or they're describing it in like such a broad overview. You're like not even getting character names or setting or context. They're just like jumping right down the middle. Right. Um, They're telling you the parts they remember. Yes. The the parts parts that that made the biggest impact on them, not necessarily the story. Mm-hmm. Which is so great if they're just telling you a story yeah. about the movie. But if we're getting into the reading comprehension part, where <laughs> the theory for you know academic work that's then, a whole different story. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so what I like to do support reading comprehension is to give that give them the structure on what to anticipate when they're reading, like a, a narrative piece. There's going to be characters, there's going to be the setting. There's going to be a kickoff event. There's going to be a couple other events following that um, solution. We're going to pay attention to the characters' um, feelings and how those change throughout. And so giving them the structure of that um, and a visual and um, different types of graphic organizers really help them when they're reading something, plop in the information into those spots. And if they're missing some of those, um, has them pay attention to what they're paying attention to. It's kind of like mindful reading um, when they have the, the, the structure and the pattern to put those into. And then on the flip side of that, that'll help them retell a story or tell their own story or create their own stories or express themselves right. um, in a way that's going to make sense to other people. And make sense to them. I mean, sometimes they don't even fully understand what they're reading. So that helps them better understand what they're reading, which is pretty important. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, Okay. So um, we have about um, three minutes before we go to break. I would like to just touch on one more topic. And then if you could just share your information, that would be fantastic. Um, What are your favorite ways to support uh, vocabulary development? Ooh, okay. So vocabulary development. I love this is important as kids are learning new words constantly, you know, absolutely dreaded weekly uh, spelling tests. Oh my gosh. Yes. And like the flashcard system, which truly it works in some ways, but it really, I'm not a fan of the disservice (laughs) for us. I mean, oh my gosh. Do you remember like getting ready for the SATs and you'd buy like, what is it? The Baron's giant flashcard deck and like those that was just a giant paperweight yeah <laughs> no one not, one not worth not worth it absolutely so what I like to do is think about words as a spider web and think about how and once again some structure words um it's called semantic feature analysis and you can do this with nouns verbs adjectives any type of word type um and think about the different parts so if we were describing you know, a pen, what does it do? What does it look like? What category does it belong in? Um, So all different features of that. And then it kind of builds this like word association, spider web, right? uh, Visual. um, I love it. Vocabulary. Mm -hmm. I love it. That is a fantastic tip. Thank you very much for sharing that. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Um, You can visit my website. It's at illuminate 
illuminatefamilyworkshop.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, or if you just type in Illuminate Family Workshop on YouTube, you'll get some content there and um, some content there and it's got some, some contact information. Thank you so much. Um, if you're looking to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com, and you can subscribe to our magazine, which um, our next issue comes out January 10th. And we have some really big news about the magazine. We have been uh, really successful this past year. Um, and so we have decided to change our format to a monthly magazine as opposed to a quarterly magazine. So if you would like to get a, a copy of the magazine, make sure you subscribe. You're going to get an email once you um, put your information into our website. Make sure you uh, click on that email that you get because that's what's going to confirm your subscription. If you don't do that, um, you will not get a copy of the magazine. We have quite a few people that have subscribed to the magazine, but we can't send them a copy because it keeps getting bounced back because they didn't click on that email. <laughs> so um, make sure you click on that. Um, if you are interested in um, our mind print assessment, which is a new product that we are offering, we have a special going right now. Um, so it's uh, $50 off. Uh, just give me a call and we can schedule it. Um, so it's 350 normally. Right now we're offering it 300 with the $50 off. You can call me at 480-648-1122 or you can email me at fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. We'd be happy to um, schedule that for you. And then that comes with a consul consultation as well, a 45-minute consultation. Um, we want to thank all our listeners. Without you, this would not be possible. And we'll be back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Fazia Costi is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Fazia works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fazia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Costi or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Now, 
back to Focus on Success. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Tracia Wan. Uh, she is a speech language pathologist and owner of Illuminate Family Workshop. Uh, welcome back, Tracia. Hey. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the second part of our, our conversation here. You've given us some wonderful uh, information and um, yeah, I'm really fascinated with what you do. Let's carry on a little bit from our um, from before the break. We were talking about uh, reading comprehension and um, vocabulary development. I'd like to kind of carry on that theme a little bit and talk about, you know, what are some ways that we could support story grammar and what is story grammar for our uh, listeners who don't know? Yeah. So story grammar is going to be the structure of um, how the story is written. So it's going to include components um, and elements that are always going to be in stories like, or in a narrative, um, characters and setting and the actions and events, problem, solution um, throughout the story. And so um, we we're talking a little bit before the break about having those structures in a, in a visual representation of them so that a student is able to mindfully read and pay attention to um, the different parts of the story that they are listening to, reading, watching, um, and interacting with. And Thank so um, something that occurs to me too with this reading comprehension piece, I think when we think about it, we think about it through this like I mean, we do think about it through this academic lens. Um, and it's a very formal sit down, write it out in this worksheet kind of way. Here are these questions. And, you know, while that's how we test kids, it doesn't have to be the way that we interact with it. It can be an immersive experience um, that really engages the student. So I think that engagement piece is going to be the most important part to get them excited about what they're doing. I was talking to a family the other week about how um, they were going to this, um, they were reading a book on Amelia Earhart and they went and did like a little field trip to an air hangar airport thing where there was like a cafe outside of it and you can go have lunch there. And so, you know, she had the little helmet thing that you, that pilots wear and she was, so it was like that immersive experience and it doesn't have to be that far extreme, but when you're talking about the structure words and the story grammar and the elements there, it doesn't have to always be in worksheet form and it all, it doesn't always have to be in this like test format. It can look like a book club. It can look like um, paperbacks and pizza club where your kiddo is reading a story, um, you know, gathered with friends and they are every, you know, it's a special time that everyone gets together and they read their book. And then afterwards they have pizza and they talk about, you know, maybe they're reading the same book or different books. Right. Um, and you know, they're all talking about like, well, who are the characters in your book and how are they like you and how are they not like you? How are you guys same and, you know, similar and different? And, um, how can you relate to the story? And is the setting somewhere in, you know, in this like make-believe land, would you want to live there? And kind of relating, making it, um, getting them involved in the reading, um, to promote that reading comprehension piece. So it doesn't always have to be in, um, this, that kind of formal way. No, I love it. And I love how you speak with such passion, no matter what you're saying. <laughs> and as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, that's how every student should be. Every student should just be so passionate about everything they're reading, everything they're interacting with, because learning should be fun. It should be a joy. And I think that as teachers, we need to make sure that we find creative ways 
to to do the um to teach the fundamentals you know there should it should be fun it just really should be fun in my opinion all learning should be fun absolutely i think that we sometimes get a little carried away with the sticker charts and rewards and that extrinsic motivation when in reality the the true reward is is intrinsic. It's the curiosity that we get to have about what we're reading, what we're learning, or if we're not interested in it, it's it's the fact that we're building um, that persistence muscle in mm-hmm. doing things that we don't want to do, which will inevitably be throughout our life. <laughs> well, exactly. So. And sometimes those things we don't want to do get us to a place where we really want to be. Truly. And that's, you know, that's something to, there's something to be said for that, you know? There really is. Um, How does speech therapy support writing? Let's talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Um, So writing can be a really laborious task for some of my students. Um, It can either be the handwriting piece, the fine motor skills, um, and it can also be the sentence structure that they are struggling with. So sometimes um, students will if they're not recognizing it in their reading, it's really difficult for them for that to to transpose into their writing skills. Um, So that's when you're looking at a piece of journal writing that doesn't look like it's up to grade level. So um, that may look like some run-on sentences and some um, just really simple vocabulary words that they don't, that when you're talking to them, they have a lot more of a colorful language and you're like, oh, you're describing this as good. And that was, but, you know, like just very basic vocabulary. Um, and they're not really infusing their, their own vocabulary into the writing. Cause they're just right. like, okay, let's, let's just write this simple structure in here that, and, and, you know, their grade level and what they're capable of is a lot higher than that. So sometimes there's a mismatch there and that's kind of where speech therapy will come in. That is where speech therapy comes in um, and explicitly teaches different sentence structures um, and conjunctions to include in their writing so that it makes it more um, more descriptive and grade level and what is expected of them at that grade and um, really helps them as they are maturing too to express themselves in a way that goes beyond the simple sentences um, and simple vocabulary that are basic that they are using. Um, so it can look like the sentence structure. Um, our kiddos that really struggle with spelling may just stick with the basic vocabulary too, because it's easier to spell, you know, um, happy than it is to spell, um, you know, exuberant or something like that. So they're going to use the words that they know how to spell, um, they're easier to, you don't have to think too hard about it because you're balancing so many different skills all at once. You're balancing, you know, the handwriting piece of it, the word structure piece of it, the spelling part of it, while also planning out what you're writing. So if the right. is to write what you thought about this story or about your vacation, where are you starting on that, on that page? Um, <laughs> Right. Starting right in the middle. And then we can kind of loop back into story grammar, which we talked about before. Are they are they writing it in a cohesive way that makes sense to their readers and makes sense to them? Right. And and if they're struggling with their organizing their thoughts, that's an executive function portion. So now you have to correct that as well and Mm -hmm. improve that skill. And so you've got a lot of working parts. 
Absolutely. That have to go together nicely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that it's not only, you know, we're like, oh, they just need to sit down and write. It's all right. more than that. You know that There's from a, the executive functioning part. Absolutely. There's a lot of things that go together that make that one simple task look simple. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when, when one piece is not um, involved, that needs more support than other skills, you're going to need someone on your team, like an executive function coach, like a speech therapist that has the understanding of the complexity so that they can support each individual part. Um, and so that student can can have the scaffolding that they need. Well, you know, just like you work on executive function when you're working with your clients because they come to you for the speech aspect of, you know, therapy. Mm -hmm. I sometimes find myself, you know, doing something similar. You know, they come to me with executive function challenges, but they're maybe struggling with comprehension. So we kind of have to tie the two together. Um, So I think it's really important for parents to know that there's more than one thing going on and that they need to really pay attention and determine what's, what's more important. Um, You know, do you want to go the speech pathologist route or do you want to go the executive function route? Either way, find somebody that's really good at what they do so that they can, if they can't handle the the job, they can at least refer you to the right person. Absolutely. Um, Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about speech therapy and how it supports self-regulation and social emotional skills. Mm, Okay. So that's really interesting. (laughs) That's a perfect segue because we're talking about how we kind of like, um, you know, not double dip, but like it's so expansive and there's so much overlap. There is an overlap. Between teachers, between therapists, between, you know, you know, I used to think when I was starting my career, like I just got to stay in my lane. And only work on the things that, you know, like definitely pay attention to your scope and what you're, you know, trained right. on, educated on, and, you know, don't go like veering off into, you know, where you're not supposed to be and speaking with authority in that place. But, you know, you have to pay attention to if you have this holistic lens on all the components. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm talking about sensory regulation, self-regulation, energy regulation, um, you know, I used to think like, well, that's, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't really touch that. It's the OT's part. And, but, you know, a... Student needs to be engaged and regulated in order to access all the higher cognitive functions. Um, So there's a resource by Jessie Ginsburg. She's a speech language pathologist. If you just Google that and I'll give you the link to put in the show notes. Um, She created this visual of the language staircase. And it was a really helpful illustration for me because so on the staircase, the first step is engagement and regulation. And the next step is going to be your basic language. And then the next step is going to be your higher cognitive um, and higher language, um, advanced language skills. And then along that is going to be a banister that says intrinsic motivation. And so, you know, when your student is highly dysregulated, um, Maybe they didn't eat us, you know, eat anything that day, or, you know, maybe something's really bothering them from school or from home, or, you know, they're really fixated on this thing that just happened. And then you're trying to jump into story grammar, you know, you're not going to, no one's going to have a fun time. And, you know, you don't want to put up bad taste in in a kid's mouth about, um, things that they have to do. So let's, you know, go down a couple steps here and talk about engagement and regulation, which really ties into the relationship that we have to have with the student first. So. I believe that when you, when a student has the language 
for energy regulation and for their own self-regulation, they're able to be a self-advocate for what they need at that moment um, and let you know, you know what, I'm like feeling really wiggly right now. Or, you know, maybe you can reflect back to them. You're like, you know, I see you wiggling in your seat a lot right now. Do you want to like, let's, um, you know, maybe we're doing, we're not doing seat work and maybe we're going to go like do something else where we'll get to move our body. Maybe we're involving an obstacle course in our session that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that we take these movement breaks. We can incorporate the movement into. Therapy. Absolutely. I, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. I love meeting students where they're at, as opposed to forcing them to meet us where we're at, because they're there to learn and you have to model that behavior. So if they can't sit still, you're right. You have to work with what you have and meet them where yeah. they're at. I, I am that. someone who cannot keep still. So yeah. <laughs> like I'm a wiggler and like movement. I, I definitely incorporate that. And like, when you're talking about making sessions fun, like I need it to be fun in order for me to do my job. So, um, you know, there is always this thing in schools where you gotta, you know, maybe schools are kind of, they're evolving now, but it used to be, I mean, it's very still for the most right. part, sit in your seat and, you know, your feet have to be on the floor and your hands are like in this way. Um, but if a student's standing, it really doesn't bother me. So no, I let my students stand up while do. they work. I let them walk <laughs> around. I remember one of the first students I had, um, the parents were like, trying. I was in their home and the parent kept trying to sit them down. And I pulled the parents aside and I said, if you ask me to come into your home and work with your son, you have to let me do the work. And it does, and I need him to get up and walk around and, and eventually he will stop. And sure enough, he did, he stopped. And by the time we were done working, he was a totally different kid, but you know, the parents kept forcing him to sit and that caused a lot of frustration for him. Mm-hmm. And, and so when he was frustrated, he couldn't focus on what he needed mm-hmm. to focus on. So mm-hmm. I definitely see the importance of just meeting kids where they're at. I love that. Truly. And it really yeah. helps them become that that advocate for themselves in the future too. It just like really is a jumping point for them. Um, so they can ask for what they need. Um, absolutely. They know what they need. Uh, absolutely. You know, right now I can't sit down, but if you can work with me while I move around, great. If not, let's reschedule. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that's important to know about yourself. You know, it's it's a very important thing. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit about sensory regulation. Why is it important to address that? Mm-hmm. So um, I think about sensory regulation and energy regulation. Um, there's there's another resource that I told you I love nerding out on different resources and hearing what people are up to. I, I love it too. There's awesome. um, a resource by Dr. Jacqueline Fide and Dr. Amy Amy Laurent, and they have a website called Autism Level Up. And so it's for, you know, they designed it specifically for kiddos on the spectrum, but I believe it can be used for everyone. Um, along with the resource that I mentioned before from Jesse Ginsburg, she specifically works with, or she does a lot of her work with um, autistic kiddos, but it's a great resource for anybody. Um, and it's a great resource for everybody. Um, so it's an energy meter and it really stems from this conversation about how, you know, okay, so there's a couple different resources out there right now that talk about the feelings of where you need to be at to be in your optimal learn zone for learning. Mm-hmm. But being complex humans, we often feel all the emotions all at once, right? Like you can hold multiple emotions in your body. And so having that conversation with kids, I'm like, you can feel excited 
um, and also worried about you know, the test coming up at the same time, it doesn't right. just like you need to pick one and that's where you are. And, um, so the energy meter has, um, six descriptive words that are kind of neutral to feelings. So, um, there's, and it goes off of some research from developmental, developmental learning theory where there's like bio behaviors. Um, so, you know, the bottom one's like asleep and the top one is, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting it, but it's like, uh, like amped up. And then, you know, there's in the middle, you're calm and focused and you don't need to be calm and focused everywhere. Like it, it's a little weird if you're calm and focused on the playground when you can right. be amped up and frenzied on the playground. So like, does your energy match the energy needed for the activity? And so it kind of does, it has like a, uh, you put a little arrow on one side that has the energy for the activity and you put an arrow on the other side for where you're at. And so um, their resources talk about um, how you can power up and power down so that your energy is a match for the resource. Also going into self-advocacy and also going into awareness of what does it feel like when I'm amped up and frenzied in my body? And does it match what, you know, how does that look like to other people? So like, for example, um, Jacqueline Feedy does an interview and she talks about how when she is in like the stressed out arousal state, like she just smiles. So like, um, you know, maybe to other people, like she looks like she's happy, but she's actually not like she's freaking out on the inside or something. So like, will will other people know how to interpret what you're projecting out in that right. way? And like, how do we learn about each other? So like that sensory regulation, going back to that piece, um, knowing where you're at so that you can meet a kiddo where they are so that you can work on the skills that they need in order to be successful or to, um, to achieve the goals that they have in place. So I kind of want to love it out, but <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. I'm actually going to look that up. That sounds very interesting. Um, let's shift a little bit more. Um, and let's talk about some tools and strategies that you use to support sensory regulation with students. Mm -hmm. So, um, talking about those like powering up and powering down pieces, um, we talk about the vocabulary around, um, knowing who your student is and what, what it looks like for them to be in a regulated state. So um, does that look like a student, you know, most of the time when we're looking at a classroom, the kiddo who's wiggly is going to look wiggly, but there are some students that are more of like the, the low arousal daydreamer. They don't really make too many waves because they're sitting in their chair, but they are not paying attention to what's going on in the classroom, but they are not making any issues for anybody. So they kind of fly under the radar. So what does it, so for that student, you're going to want to amp them up a little bit more. Um, and what are some things and um, things that they can use to get amped up about what they are learning about for that amount of time? Um, and then for our kiddos who are super amped up, how do you power down? How do you, um, what does it look like for them to get down to a, to get into that calm and focus state? Um, and just working with their their body and their needs. Um, so it really is about taking inventory about the different profile that they have and um, trying out different things um, because, and because those things might change as this kiddo is growing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it might look different in first grade and it might look different in fifth grade. It's kind of supposed to almost. Yeah. 
Well, yes, I, I think it has to. It has to. I mean, yeah. I would be worried if they weren't evolving and changing and growing. I would be very worried. So, yes, <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, we've got about four or three minutes. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about how do you motivate students without, you know, tangible rewards? Yeah. And, and, and tell me a little bit about why this is important. So I got rid of my treasure box, prize box thing a long time ago, because now kids were coming to me and they were just asking for stickers and I'm not just my sticker lady. (laughs) Where's my reward for being here? (laughs) Exactly. Your reward is that you get to hang out with me. Um, (laughs) I, um, you know, I, and especially if we're so focused on the stickers, I like to shift gears into making sure that the student knows why we're seeing each other. Why am I in your life? What is the purpose for us working together? Um, And, you know, is there a point in which, you know, if we're working on articulation skills um, where you graduate from speech, sometimes kids didn't know that they didn't, there could be a point where they didn't have to come to speech therapy or for a student, like for them to know what their goals are, how they are going about achieving them and what it looks like when those goals are achieved. How does that feel in their body? What are they working towards? Um, And then marking the progress with them. And it doesn't have to be like in secret that, you know, like, oh, I want to, you know, it happens in a fun way. So um, it really gets their buy-in and helps them make progress. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my last question to you is what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Hmm. So my 20 year old self, it would be helpful if she knew that the visions and dreams that she's got in her heart that other people may not understand are there for a reason. And that, you know, this, the, the person that has this creative, um, perspective on things, those are there because they're creative things that need to be created in this world. And, uh, you know, to, to share those. I love it. Thank you. Um, So once again, if you could give your contact information. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Yeah, they can visit my website at illuminatefamilyworkshop.com. Wonderful. And they can email you or call you through there as well. Okay. Yeah. I've got my email up there. There's a couple links to my YouTube channel and Instagram. So. And do you see patients uh, only in person or do you see people um, via Zoom as well? I see mainly patients in or clients in, in Phoenix, um, but I'll do some consults via Zoom. All right. Thank you for sharing that. If you're looking to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Um, if you'd like to call me, my number is 480-648-1122. And make sure you go to our website and subscribe to our magazine. Um, starting January, we will be going monthly. So um, make sure you get your copy. And uh Without you, this would not be possible. So I just want to give a quick shout out to everybody. Thank you for for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.